John filling in for Peter. Thank you, John. You can take your Bibles and turn to to John chapter 8, and I'll explain in a minute what we're going to do. I want to thank watching the video from, from VBS this week, and I got to go a couple of days and hang around for a while, and, and the, uh, what Rhiannon was talking about, and bringing all the, both the church kids and the, and the uh, daycare and, and uh, camp kids all together at the Bartley campus, it was really cool just to see them all together, realizing that in many cases there are children there uh, not from Christian homes, and for us to be able to love on them and, and share the gospel with them, and, um, and then as Rhiannon was sharing, and obviously very uh, difficult weekend and upcoming week for the ones uh, here at the Arlington campus for Rick, as if they're regular everyday bus driver, uh, particularly the after school kids, and for him to just suddenly die of a heart attack is uh, traumatic and difficult. And, it's, and it reminded me during the week, it was, and I want to, by the way, say thank you to all of you that uh, many of them are here both young people and adults who uh, worked, uh, thank you for the time. And even if you're watching, appreciate the time that you gave. And, and I know I was talking to one guy. He's now given up three weeks of his vacation in the month of June to, to do uh, a camp or something for the church. And uh, that's very special. We appreciate that. But what's most significant, and I've reminded this morning when I got the text about Rick, is that what we do really matters. And I don't mean what we do as a church, that, that's obvious. It, it, it matters, it's important, it has eternal significance. But what we, as individual believers in Jesus Christ, those who, who are born again and understand hope and have understood and received, we talked about John 1 over the last few weeks in the, the great prologue to the, this book that we're looking at, the I Am Statements of Christ, we have come to understand and receive that Jesus is the great I am. He's not just the greatest teacher that ever lived, which he is. Not just the greatest example that ever lived, which he is. Not just the greatest human being that ever walked the planet, which he is. But that he is the eternal self-existent one who created the universe, then came at a definite moment in time, and stepped into space and time and became a human being to die in our place. And so it is significant. I was talking to a lady last night at the fireworks display and beautiful and watching that afterwards, just standing there talking. And she recently lost her son. And and she encouraged me so much by saying, it, it is, Scripture tells us that we all have an appointment with death. In Hebrews 9, it's appointed unto man once to die. And you know, we see Rick every day up here, and you just don't know. But if you know Christ, look at the top of your handout. What we're going to look at today, these I am statements of Christ. Today we're going to look at the one where he says, I am. That's all he says. And once I come to know Christ as my Savior, and I have the hope and the grip on eternity that I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm a child of God and I have eternal security and hope 
in Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, death has no sting in your life. The grave has no power over you. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I have the keys to death and Hades. And Hades is the abode of the dead. In other words, I've conquered death. Because he conquered death, we conquered death in him. And for a believer, it's the greatest day of your life. Ecclesiastes 7.1, and God says, in Psalms, precious in his sight is the death of one of his saints. We go home. So for all the kids that we encountered at DBS and we will encounter this week and talking to them on a daily basis, they can have an understanding now that there is a way not to fear death through the person of Jesus Christ. My wife has two brothers right now that are uh, both very sick. They're getting better. One's better and one appears to be getting better. But they're in their 70s, one's in their 70s and one's in his 80s, and they both got covid one was in ICU this past week, and he was a healthy guy, uh, the healthiest 83-year-old I've ever known. And just all of a sudden, boom, you don't know. What I do know is that in Christ, I'm, I am victorious. And that literally what that means is I'm victorious over the two enemies that no man can conquer, sin and death, except in Jesus Christ. So what we do matters. What you do matters. That when you encounter people, that you look at them like Jesus died for that person. He loves him or her. How can I share the gospel with them? Not that you want to grab them by the collar and throat and and shake them and preach in their face. Not that. How can I love them and let them understand how much Jesus Christ loves them? So let's have a moment of prayer, and then we're going to get into John chapter 8, maybe. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that you are our God. We're grateful for grace. The greatest gift ever given was the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ on the cross for my sins. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm grateful, Father. We're grateful. We just pray we would remember that. We'd live that. We'd share that in every possible way that we can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to John chapter 8, verse 58, if you would. It's also there on your handout at the very top. Let me tell you what we're going to do today so you can relax. We're not covering that outline. A shocker. We may not even get into the outline today, because here's what I want to do. What does John 8, 58 say? We'll just start there. It's the theme of this series that we're doing. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them. What we're going to focus on today, this is quintessential Randy. What we're going to focus on today is the them. That's pretty much all we're going to talk about is one word, the them. You'll see why in a moment. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them. Most assuredly, or truly, truly, verily, verily, depending on your translation. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What we're going to look at today is, why is Jesus talking to the them? Who are the them? Why is he saying this particular thing to the them? And what does it matter to us? You always want to study the Bible to find out what does it matter to me? What does God want me to do with it? Application. So 
So he says to this group, the them, we'll come back to the them in a moment. Before Abraham was, I am. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody look at me and go, let me tell you why. We are not going to cover before Abraham was, I am. We're not going to go back and do the eternality of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is God, because we've already covered that in the prologue. He has always been God, and at a definite moment in time, he became flesh and dwelt among us. We've already covered that. So we're not going to cover the eternality of Jesus Christ, even though it will be inherent in what we're talking about. What we're going to focus on this week and next week is, what does he mean by that? And why did he say it now, this context, historically, and why did he say it to this group of people who are the them? So we're going to look at the context and the history of this passage, where it came from, the, this great, great, incredible statement before Abraham was, I am, and we're not going to do the eternality again. So, let's see how much you learned over the past few weeks and or months. What's the theme of the Gospel of John? Oh, I've got to go back and do all of that again. What's the theme of the Gospel of John? What? All right, Jesus is God. Very good. Jesus is God. John's going crazy just screaming it. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And that in him you have life. That in him you have life, because he's the giver of life. We saw that in the prologue. John's trying to get the point across. Jesus is God. Let's tie this into what we're talking about today. Look at the top of your handout. Jesus is God. Jesus is the I am. The Greek definite article means how many of them are there? Only one. There's only one God, one creator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. He's God. Before Abraham was, I am. So what we're going to look at today is, why is he saying that at this moment in time? We're going to tie the Bible and history together over the next couple of weeks as we look at, look at this. So the little phrase, I am. Again, we're not going to talk about the eternality. Let me read you what John Phillips says about, in his commentary, what he says about just the statement, I am. Quote, it's worth remembering that I am was the greatest name for God known to the Jews, and it was treated with the utmost reverence by them. This name for God was considered to be so holy that the Jews would not speak it. It's said that when a scribe was copying the scriptures and came to this name for God, he would take a new pen just to write that name. In other words, he scribes writing down, translating, or not translating, but just writing the scriptures down, another copy. When he came to where it says, uh, I am Jehovah, Yahweh, he would set that pen down and pick up another one and write it. It was so sacred to them. Just a couple of quotes from the Hebrew scriptures. Exodus chapter 3, where this all began. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. As Moses gets ready to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go, he says, well, who am I to tell your people you are? He said, you tell them I am who I am. In Isaiah 41, the Bible says this, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first and the last, I am he. A little side note, reminiscent, we quoted a moment ago, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek alphabet, what would that be equivalent to? It would be equivalent to saying, I am the A to the Z. We talked about that before. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. Here, Isaiah, I'm the first, I'm the last, I am some of it all. In Isaiah 43, you are my witnesses, says 
the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. I alone am God. In Deuteronomy 32, in the law, God says, Now see that I, even I, am he. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I, and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. I alone am God. Okay. The them. Poor Abraham was. Jesus said to them. The them are the Jewish leaders who are there to fight with Jesus. I want you to notice a couple of things before we get into that. I want you to turn back to John chapter 4. So Jesus says to them in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. We'll talk a lot about that over this week and next week, how significant that moment was. But it is a constant theme of the ministry of Jesus Christ while he was on earth that he wanted those he encountered and whom he dealt with to understand they were primarily Jews, and obviously he dealt some with the Romans, but primarily as he's dealing with Jews, he wanted them to understand, I am the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I'm the one who spoke to Isaiah. I'm the one who spoke with David. I'm the one who walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I am God. He never shied away from that. And it is an emphasis not only of the Gospel of John, but of history. Because if he's not God, we are wasting our time. He was either a con artist or a lunatic. Or he was God. You have to decide. The essence of life is what am I going to do with Jesus Christ? What have you done with Jesus Christ? Look at John chapter 4. Just notice some words. We just saw what the Hebrew scriptures said about God and the name I am. Now I want you to notice the words of Jesus Christ, starting in John 4, verse 26. Jesus said, this is the woman at the well, the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. We're not going to exegete that today, but what an incredible teaching moment that was for Jesus Christ. 4.24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I know that he is there in your uh, Bible. It was not there in the original text. So what Jesus was saying was, she said, I know Messiah is coming. It's a Samaritan, which they were um, uh, half-breed in the, in the eyes of the Jews. She's a Samaritan woman. And Jesus says to her, she says, I know Messiah's coming or Christ is coming and he'll tell us all things. What did Jesus say? I am. The Messiah that you've been looking for your whole life, your ancestors have been looking for, their ancestors were looking for, their ancestors were looking for, the ancestors of all the Jews. If they've been all the way back to Abraham, I am. I am the Messiah that Isaiah wrote about. I am the Messiah that Micah wrote about. I am the Messiah that David wrote about. I am he. I am God. Look at chapter 8, where we started in verse 24. 8, 24. 
Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, 824. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. There it is. If you don't believe that I am God, I am Yahweh, I am Jehovah. If you don't believe, remember he's talking to Jews. If you don't believe that I am the God that you say you worship, you will die in your sins. I alone can redeem you. You can reject me, which they had as a group. But I alone have the capacity to set you free from sin and death. If you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, picture of him being crucified, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. When you crucify me, when you think you're winning, when you think you've defeated me, when you think that you have finally got me out of your way because I've come to challenge your self-righteousness, as we're going to see, when you crucify me, what you're going to discover is you just crucified God because I am. Go to chapter 13. We'll come right back here. Go to chapter 13, verse 19. 13, 19. Part of the upper room discourse. Jesus is alone with the 11 guys who are going to carry on after he's gone. He's preparing them for his death and departure. You know the story. 13, 19. After washing their feet and beginning to prepare them, notice what he says. I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, things that he's telling them about, you may believe that I am. They didn't want him to go away. Let not your heart be troubled. Several times in here, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, chapter 14. They, they were terrified. They didn't want Jesus to go away. They thought the Messiah was coming and set up the kingdom on earth. They were Jewish. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans and set up the kingdom on earth. Jesus kept saying, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm sent from above. I've got to go back. Where are you going? We don't know where you're going. I'm telling you this now, so when it happens in the future, you'll know what? I am. Remember, they're Jewish. Every time he said, I am, they knew he was saying, I'm God. They knew he was saying, I'm the same one Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the tablets from. Things like that should excite you as you read your Bible. Hundreds upon hundreds of passages in the Old Testament that are foreshadowing the Messiah. And then you go read history. Even if you don't believe the New Testament, don't believe the Bible. So you've got this Old Testament, and then you go read history, and you see where this guy from Jesus, from Cana, from Nazareth, and Cana of Galilee, that, wait a minute, he fits, he fits this. He's exactly who they were talking about. How'd they know about him? How did he orchestrate his own birth at Bethlehem in the womb? Because he's God. For Abraham was, I am. Okay, now go back to chapter 8. Let's kind of set up the context for this great statement. Here's what's going on in John chapter 8. As I said, we're not going to talk about the eternality of Christ. What we're going to talk about is, is the most exciting thing that I can experience in this life, and that you can share with someone in this life that will carry them for all eternity. And it's the subject of freedom. You've heard me quote many times, it's right here in this chapter, about being free. Who sets you free? The Son sets you free. You are 
free indeed. Because the Son is the truth. That's the context of this passage in which he says, before Abraham was, I am. That he's saying to those Jews, I want you to understand I bring freedom. What you bring with your religious self-righteousness is bondage. The people are terrified of you, and they're in bondage because of you, and I have come to set them free. That's why Jesus said to those people that were around and following the Pharisees, their religious leaders, the, the hierarchy of the Jews, they were at the top of the ladder. And Jesus said to the people, I don't want you to be like them. You can't say it any more plain or plainer, and you can't say it any stronger. Jesus looked right at the Pharisees and said this, quote, you are going to hell and you're taking people with you. From the lips of I am. Do you, do you understand why they wanted to kill him? And it begins right here. They had a meeting, and a committee meeting, a little ad hoc one over here, and they all got back together and said, he's got to go. He's got to go. He says he can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. And not only that, he's hurting our business, boys. He's got to go. And so when you get to the crucifixion, remember Jesus said, remember when you lift up the Son of Man, then you're going to know I'm what? I am. When they had him crucified and they conned the Romans into doing it for them, got Pilate to kill him, even Pilate, the Roman pagan, said, what about Jesus? I can't find anything wrong with him. Why do you want to kill this guy? How about Barabbas? He deserves it. Crucified Jesus. Pilate tried to wash the guilt off his hands. We still use the phrase today. You got blood on your hands. He couldn't do it. He knew it was wrong to crucify Jesus, but he didn't want to politically deal with the Jews. So he just, take care of do whatever you want to do, crucify him. Before Abraham was, I am. The context in which Jesus said that, there's a discourse on freedom. Now please look at me, especially if you're young. Everybody in the room is younger than me, with a few exceptions. Freedom does not mean, from God's perspective and God's definition, freedom does not mean being able to do whatever you want to do. When you're growing up as a teenager, especially watching my older brother who was a quintessential hippie in the 60s, Woodstock, the whole bit. Jimi Hendrix was his god. And he went to Woodstock, he did it all. And I can remember watching my brother, he's three years older than me, watching him. All he ever wanted to do was get out from under my father's hand so he could be what? Free. I want to be free to do what I want to do. You know, 60s, the whole thing of the 60s was free love, free everything. Free drugs, free everything. He sold drugs out of our house. And I had to tell my dad I thought it was the right thing to do. When you're the younger brother. And I can still remember the day he let my dad know he was free. When he turned 18, probably told you the story before, but when my brother turned 18, he told my dad, he was a big man, 
He said, I don't have to do what you tell me anymore. I'm free. My dad grabbed him around the collar, lifted him off the ground, and punched him right in the face and dropped him. And I'm sitting on the couch over here, and he turned and looked at me, and I said, "Woo! hit him again. <laughs> I was terrified. And as a result of what he did, I was in bondage even worse because with all the things he did, I wasn't allowed to drive or get my license, even think about getting in my father's car because of my brother, all the stuff he'd done. I didn't start driving until I met Mary and her dad let me drive. Freedom does not mean I get to do what I want to do. Freedom biblically means this. So important that we understand this. Freedom biblically means being free to do what God created you to be. It means free to be everything that God made you to be. There, that's why true freedom is found being in Christ. If the Son sets you free, you're not just free, you're free indeed. You finally get it. And you understand that being free in Christ frees me up, pardon the pun, to live for the Lord. Not to be self-righteous like these guys he's talking to. Not to live up to a, somebody's rules and regulations. I, I, I don't mean and like the antinomians that they dealt with in the early church. Their idea of freedom was because of grace, you're free to do whatever you want to, including sin. Don't worry about what you do physically. It doesn't matter because you're free spiritually. That was their philosophy. And by the way, there's a lot of antinomians in our culture today. No, it means I'm free to seek the Father's will and honor him and please him so that other people can be drawn to the Father and be set free like I've been, like you've been in Christ. Being able to be everything God created you to be. Look at verse 32. We talked about it, but look at it for just a second. 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not just the Son, but the truth. Why does the Son why is it that the Son can set you free? Because the Son is also what? Truth. Later on in the upper room discourse that we were quoting from earlier in John 13, Jesus said, I am the way, the Truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. So, boys, I've got to go. I'm going to the Father. Do you want to follow me? That's exactly what he told them. And Thomas said, where are you going? We don't know the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. Now, I need you to go out. Think about it this way. What is the last thing Jesus said before he left the planet? The ascension. It's the last thing he said. I need you, I command you to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples of me. Go out there and he'd already told him, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you and in you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you what you need to know. He's going to remind you what I've taught you for three years. Now I want you to go out there and teach other people and bring them to me. Make disciples. And by the way, it's what's so cool about being a Christian. Jesus ascended, gave us the Great Commission, sent the Holy Spirit, told them this is what I want you to do. And every day he's still saying the same thing to us today until he comes back. 
What's the commission on our lives? Go into all the world and make learner followers of me. And then you know what the last thing he said was? So, so beautiful. It's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world and make learner followers of me. And I will be with you always. Wait a minute. You're, you're going away. How, how are you going to be with us? I told you I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. The truth. The comforter. The paraclete. The one who comes alongside to help in time of need. He's going to be there. He's in our midst right now. When you're hurting, he's there. He understands. He empathizes in every way. You need to share that with people because they need to hear it. Freedom. True freedom. Look at verse 31, chapter 8. 31. Jesus said to them, to the Jews who believed him, those Jews who were followers, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In context, here's Jesus' definition of freedom. is following him. His definition of freedom is not go do whatever you want to do. His definition of freedom is follow me. We're also told in the Gospels that he challenges them, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Begins with what? Denying yourself. It's not, it's not about you. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, which means you're dying to self, and then you can follow me. You know what the very next verse is after that's Jesus quoted that. Take up your, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know what the very next verse is? Many follow him no more. Wait a minute. That, that's too hard. I can't do that. I want to, it's about me. I want to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I, I might die. But if you're in Christ, that's the best day of your life. You see the picture? True freedom is death is the best day of your life. For so, like it's on my office and every place else, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. F true freedom. His definition was follow me. You believe in him. What does he mean by follow him? Believe in him. Commit to him as the truth. Choose to follow him. A volitional act on my part. To abide in him. Verse 31 we just read. What does the word abide mean? It means where you live. Where do you live? Is it Jesus a daily part of my life? Not just do I do a little devotional Bible study, quiet time, and I'm not mocking that. You should do that. Spend time alone with the Lord in his word and in prayer. What abide means is that's where you live. Like when you get out of your car and you walk in your house, that's where you abide. And so when I get up every day and I start to wherever I got to go, whatever I got to do, some of you go to a different place every day because of your job. Some of you are at the same place all day long, every day. But what God, what Jesus wants you to understand is abiding in me means this. Wherever you find yourself, your, your first priority is how can I glorify God in the midst of wherever I am? In doing your job? In just being there? Maybe just caring about something? Maybe in an email you're sending to encourage someone or text or face-to-face, -face, wherever it might be. Your number one thought process priority is how can I glorify God in the midst of where I am today? Where do I abide? That's why when Jesus taught us how to pray, 
the Lord's Prayer, you've, told me, you've heard me say many times, the two great principles of the Lord's Prayer are this. I want to glorify the Father. Father, hallowed be your name. And Lord, what is your will? I want your will on earth as it is in heaven. What did he say about daily in that real prayer? Anybody remember? Give us this day our... And then tomorrow, what do you ask for? Same thing. Give it to me today, Lord. Give it to me today, Lord. Give it. Feed me. Feed me. And in a spiritual way, that's why being in God's word is so important. That's why spending time in prayer is so important. That's why seeking the Lord's face and then wanting to share that Lord with people, that's abiding. That's where you live. So Jesus said, believe in me. You want to be free? Put your faith in me. Live in me every day. And then verse 32, one more time, verse 32, chapter 8, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. No, not just a one-time encounter. You know something, it's constant. I'll read just a couple of quotes from Scripture, from Proverbs, chapter 2. The Bible says this. My son, if you receive my words and you treasure my commands, I love that word, treasure. It's important to you. You value something if you treasure it. Yesterday we were talking uh, with uh, one of our daughters and we were talking about Mary's grandmother. They called her Nanny. And my wife was, was incredibly close to her grandmother. I never met her grandmother. She died right before Mary and I met. But she still to this day she'll talk about her Nanny every now and then. And our daughter has some jewelry that had, it's costume jewelry that had belonged to Nanny. And I thought, does your mother know you have that? Because if it belonged to Nanny, it better be in, it better be in Mary's possession. So they roomed together. And, and growing up, her grandmother lived in, was in the same room with her. They were a very small house. And like nine or ten of them lived in there. And she roomed with her grandmother. And it was just very close. And if it belonged, even though it was costume jewelry, what would be my wife's attitude about that costume jewelry? She would treasure it. Treasure it. Why? Simple reason. Because it belonged to Nanny. Please understand what it means to be free in Christ. I treasure God's word because it matters to me. It's of great value to me. I was sitting at my desk this week working in at home and my study Bible that I've had since the mid eighties, literally, it never, it never leaves my desk at home because if it did, it would just fall apart. I, I use it so much and I'm thinking I probably could sell this for, for something. And I thought, no, no, then it's not going to be a treasure to anybody but me. But I bet some of my kids will want it when I'm gone. Cause I got all kinds of notes in there and things I've written down, funerals that I've done, notes that I've made and stuck in there and, about different people and different things. And Chris Ellison and I are going to write a book one day, all the crazy things we've seen working for a church for 40 years. It matters. It's, it's the greatest possession I think I own is that study Bible. I love it. I'll, just, I'll turn to a passage like this and, I, and I'm, something I stuck in there. I may have stuck in there years ago and don't even remember it or, or things that I've written in the margins over the years. That's what he's saying in Proverbs. Back to the quote. Treasure my commands within you, what God says, so that you may incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. In other words, to abide in Christ means 
I want to have wisdom and I want to have understanding. Wisdom is seeing things the way God sees them. And understanding is realizing, what do I need to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? What would be the the godly way to respond here or to handle this? That I want that as God's child. Apply your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, which we all want, wisdom, understanding, discernment. When you get a chance, I know Steve's here today, any of our elders, go up to them and ask them the simple question. How often do you pray for wisdom? And they'll go, how much time have you got? It's the constant prayer of our hearts. Lord, we need wisdom to handle this, to handle that. Steve's been fighting with code enforcement for six months at least. And we, we finally have our permit and we're ready to go next door and we're excited. Just had to wait. Wisdom, discernment. Lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her, understanding, wisdom, discernment. If you seek her, wisdom, as silver, search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. What that phrase means, to be in just awe. Not, not fear like he's going to hurt me, but just I'm in awe of who my God is, my I am. Find and you will find the knowledge of God. When experience true freedom, you find it in Christ. Go back to chapter 8 again, this freedom. When Jesus sets you free, just for a moment I want you to think, and many of you were saved as a, as a child and grew up in the church. Some of you may be like me. I grew up in the church, but I really didn't become a Christian until I was a teenager at another church. Someone sat down and shared the gospel with me. And that's where I met Mary, and, and I began to serve, and, and my life was changed in a very dramatic way for me. Some of you may have been saved as a teenager. Some of you as an adult. But to think back, whatever that, in my case, is 51 years ago, and I can look back down through the corridors of time and see the hand of God preparing different things and having it ready when I was ready to step into that. Whether it was marriage, it gave me the perfect person to be married to because I knew nothing about being a, a husband. Knew nothing about being a Christian husband. And then when we had our first child, you know, I've joked about I, had, I sure knew nothing about being a father. But my wife was an expert in all those things because she came from a family of nine million. All she ever did was, was babysit nieces and nephews. She was ready. I wasn't. I couldn't even change a diaper. She had to teach me. But God made me the, gave me the perfect person for that. In many other ways, preparing me. What I had to go through, and the situation I had to grow up in, as difficult as it was, it prepared me to be able to share with people when they're hurting. I understand I've been there. Open heart surgery, not any fun. But now I can, I can empathize with people who have to have open heart surgery because I've been there. Just jokingly, just last night at the fireworks thing, afterwards I'm talking to a young man about the same age I am. He had just gotten saved. He's about the same age I was when I got saved. And we were talking about what it means to be a teenager and just accepted Christ. Because I can still remember that. Talking to another lady last night about her husband. My husband's not here. He's got gout. Well, guess who has gout? 
Guess who understands the pain of gout? I do. I said, well, let me, let me tell you this pill I take for my gout. It's incredible. It's a miracle pill. I don't have gout pain anymore. But when I had it, again, I've had open heart surgery. When I woke up with gout, and we didn't even have a cane or anything in our house. It was in my big toe. Mary drove me to the doctor's office. I was using an umbrella to walk with. And the guy looked at my toe and he said, you got gout. And I said, good, cut it off. <laughs> Whatever you got to do, do something about that pain. And once he got the inflammation down, they gave me this nice little pill that I now take every day and will for the rest of my life. I don't have gout pain anymore. But do I understand? Somebody says, I got gout. Do I understand how painful it is? When the sheet touching your toe hurts, that's pain. I understand it. I also understand living with an alcoholic father, an abusive alcoholic father. I have an alcoholic brother. I know how to talk to him because we grew up in the same house. We slept in the same room. I've been there. Freedom is being set free by Christ to realize this is why you, sometimes you have to go through horrible, difficult circumstances so on the other side you can do what? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ because you've been there. You can help. You get set free from things like anger, guilt, pride, worry. Any of you ever worried? Might as well put your hands up because you know you do. I do. But you know what? how God set me free? I still worry, but now I realize it's a sin. From studying Philippians, that book meant so much in my life, that four little chapters. God said, it's wrong, Randy. I expect you to trust me. VBS this week, trust Jesus. Over and over I heard it. I need to hear that. Randy, you can't fix everything. I can't fix my wife's gastroparesis, as difficult as that's been. I can only love her, try to help her through it, and if you, men, you understand, we want to fix things. When your wife hurts, we want to fix it. I can't fix that. I just can love her and help her through it. You're set free from pride, from selfishness, from a lack of faith. You can be set free from that by abiding in Christ. Another little message, and then we're going to kind of wrap up here. The progression in Proverbs we just read, you receive, you treasure, and then you listen. Lord, what is it I need to hear from you? And then you apply it to get understanding. You receive truth, you seek truth, you live truth. Not just every now and then. It's not a one-time event. It's your life. You come to Christ, you trust him, you're born again. And then you live for the rest of your life on the planet, whatever that might be. For some, it's longer than others. It's all relative. By constantly seeking, seeking truth that you've received to save you and then applying it to live it out. Now look at verse 33, chapter 8. One more point and then we're done for today. I want you to see in the context of Jesus saying to these Jews... I am. Notice the hindrances to this freedom that Jesus says to them. What keeps you from being free? Verse 33. The Jews answered Jesus, we're Abraham's descendants. And we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll make us free? 
Jesus said, truly, truly, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Here's their hindrances. We're going to talk about these in detail next week. Here are their hindrances to being set free. Number one, notice what they say in verse 33. We're Abraham's descendants. We're not slaves to anyone. How are you going to set us free? I hope you see the arrogance in their statement. I hope you see the self-righteousness in their statement because that's what it is. We're Jews. We don't need you to set us free. We're already free. We're Jews. And they were focusing, you see it, every time Jesus encounters them, Nicodemus, perfect example, they're always focusing on the physical when Jesus is focusing on the what? Spiritual. They never get it. What did Nicodemus, who was the teacher, he was the dean of the academy, what did he say to Jesus when Jesus said, you must be born again? What was his response? I got to go back inside my mom. That's what he said, and he was the expert. He trained the others. They didn't get it. All their righteousness was, and by the way, this is where most people are in our world. They won't admit it, but they are. Their righteousness was, here's our list of do's and don'ts, and we live up to that, therefore we're righteous. Give you a quick example, and then we're going to pray. Next week, we'll look at John eight fifty eight. Maybe even get into the outline. You've heard me use this example before, but it's so real and it's so poignant and it, sets, it, it, it helps you really understand why you have to love people. Even in church, go up to anybody you know and ask them, if you died today, are you going to heaven? And their answer is, I hope so. Most people, I hope so. And the answer, if you're set free in Christ, is what? Yes. yes. I am. Not because I'm good. I'm not. Not because I've done a lot of great things for the church, even if you have. It has nothing to do with it. All our righteousness, according to the Bible, is filthy rags. You know why I'm going to heaven when I die? Because Jesus said, I am. That's it. Because I'm in Christ. And he set me free. I hope that thrills you. I know it does me. Every day. Mary, Mary and I joke about it. Every morning, I have to get up and stand beside the bed for two or three minutes till my back catches up with the rest of me. If you get, you get a little older, you'll understand that. Yesterday, we were at an event. My son got married in February, and his, his daughter is here in town for a month, so we got the two families together to meet. We never met a lot of his new wife's family, so we're all out at their house in Mumford. Got the slippy slide for the kids. We were there all day, and I had one of those cheap camp chairs I got at Dollar General because my son stole my good one, but anyway. So I'm sitting in my $10 camp chair from Dollar General, and I'd been there for like two hours sitting there talking to my son-in-law and my daughter and Mary, and, or Mary walked over, and you know we're one chair short. So I start to get up. Like she thinks it would be a gentleman to give me the chair. She said, what are you doing? I said, i got to get out. My back's killing me. 
See, I wasn't smart enough to say, oh, no, here, dear, you, I want you to have the chair. It was my back's killing me. I need to walk around for a while. That's just life. But every day is an exciting moment where you can look people in the eye and say, Jesus will set you free. I don't know what your bondage is, but I know he'll set you free. Because every man's born a sinner, that's your bondage. It manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. But every human being is a slave to sin until Jesus sets them free. What a great message. Okay, y'all can go back to sleep now. Let's pray. Father, we do, we're just overwhelmed when we think about who you are. That you showed us grace, mercy, you love us. You sent Christ to die in our place so we could be set free. I pray we would revel in that, be excited about it, think about, look for people to share the gospel so they can understand that they too can be set free. Lord, we just thank you for Jesus and for the fact he is, I am. And he's just trying to get those self-righteous Jews to see they needed him to set them free. We'll pray, Lord, so we're all self-righteous without Christ, that we would share the gospel in a loving way, respectful way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here in the house, please stand as we sing this last song together.
Thank you. You can bring the lights up. We've got something special we're going to do today. So if you can bring the lights up where I can, there we go, I can see, not be blinded. A couple of things I want to mention to you, and then uh, I'm going to have Steve close us in prayer, but I'm going to give you special instruction before he closes us. Uh, the Arlington Expansion Fund, I want you to please continue to pray about, and if you want to give a gift to that, uh, we've got those matching funds, but we've still got uh, a lot to try to catch up with that. You've been faithful in giving, and we're excited about the money that, that the Lord has brought into the coffers for us to be able to do next door, so please continue to give to that, and we thank you for your faithfulness. If you're visiting with us today, we appreciate you being here. Uh, we're excited to see people gradually coming back. And one more time, I do want to say, so everybody feels comfortable, if you want to wear a mask, you wear it. No one's going to condemn you. If you don't want to wear one, then don't. If I've got a mask on, then I won't get somebody. If, if you're wearing a mask, I'm not getting in your face. We love each other. We're not going to fight over that. It's not important. It, it, we care. We love one another. So I'm going to have Steve close us in prayer. And here's what I'd like you to do. I know we're running a little late because the preacher wouldn't shut up. I understand that. What I'd like to do, however, because we're, we're just excited and thrilled. I want, I, before we stack any chairs, before we do anything, before, if you've got three minutes, I want everybody, after Steve prays, to go out the door, walk next door, and we're going to pray on the parking lot right in front of that building before we start working on it. All right? So Steve's going to close us. If you've got five minutes, walk out. If you don't, I understand. Walk out the door, hang a right, and go stand in front of the Fred's building. We're going to pray together. All right? Steve. come out, we're all going to go next door and pray over the Fred's building, if y'all want, if y'all want to go with us. Okay. Tell anybody else that might be out here running. I told them we're going to do it right now. That way, they can do it. 